Nina Saunders-Green, and you're listening to Formally Fostered, brought to you by Green Pines Media. This is a podcast about foster care and children's mental health services, and sometimes the juvenile justice system, mainly because there's a lot of intersection between the three. We give emancipated youth and their allies a place to share their truth. Welcome to episode four of Formerly Fostered. This week, we'll be hearing from a 24-year-old young man who has had experience in the juvenile justice system, as well as children's mental health services. Oh, and he's also an ally for foster youth. Please be advised that this episode does contain descriptions of criminal activity and drug abuse, so it may not be appropriate for young children. And I'll have a reminder further in the interview, just in case you forget. I wasn't actually in foster care. My household was a foster care house. Um, basically, my grandma came from Mexico, and she wanted to help out kids. So she came here. She became a United States citizen, and she basically, she at first she was working as a, as a housekeeper down in a hotel for like twenty years, and then she said, "Well, I want to help out people." So she got her citizenship. And she like became a just a regular United States citizen, and she was like granted to do things like go be a be a foster parent. So she went to training, and she was a foster parent for another twenty years. And after Amen. that, they gave her the option. He goes on to share that after twenty years of his grandmother being a foster parent, she decides to serve youth in a different capacity, this time at a nonprofit. She eventually works her way up into a management position and starts doing things like planning holiday events and taking the kids on outings. Around, I grew up around kids that were like with disabilities, kids, people with people that had to be on wheelchairs. I would help them. So I'll be a big impact inside my grandma's household because I was the only boy and I live in a house full of nothing but females. So it was for me to be the only man of the house. I was doing a lot of caring helping now dealing with people's anxieties, people telling people what to do, because they have so much energy. So it's like, at first she was doing like little kids and okay. little kids and turned to teenagers oh. and teenagers. She finally said, okay, I want to help out the adults. So now she's doing sort of like both. Throughout the whole 20 plus years that my grandma was in foster care, my grandma adopted two, two kids. And she, like, ever since they were a baby, they, they've been growing up with us. She's doing, she's retired, but she's still helping out. What's the most amount of kids that were ever in the house with you when you were growing up? So in a house of, a house of eight, mm-hmm. carrying around nine or ten. Okay. Nine, okay. nine or ten people, including my grandpa, grandma, wow. my mom, my sister. So about, foster kids, probably like three or two. Okay. But usually the biggest, the most was five foster kids. Uh, sometimes we'll have kids run away when we would have to call nine one one. So the cops were like, like whenever we we put our address, they're like number one respond, like you know, because they know it's a foster care house. Mm-hmm. And we lived literally right by the border. Right. Like we would see, excuse me, but illegal immigrants, Mexicans, jump over the border right. just to come inside my grandma's backyard. Wow. And it was like border patrol would just be waiting right there. So if we call the cops and then they see that address, they're gonna be. They're going to be thinking, okay, we didn't get there because something's happening. What uh, illegal? And, and so it was like, I lived a crazy childhood. 
So in case I didn't mention it, this particular young man was born and raised in the state of Texas. But then when he turned 15, something started to change in his life. I asked him a little bit about that. I was being bad. I was taking my mom's car, taking her money. I was doing marijuana, had a lot of marijuana. The one thing about me was when I would run away from school, I mean from my mom's house, I told her I was always going to go to school. She never believed me. I, w I ran away for two months and she didn't, she finally decided to check the school and the police came to my classroom looking for me because they have like a little sign-in sheet and I signed in because I'm, like I said, you're not going to take away my education. Wow. Like, you know, I'm not going to be a dumb kid, you know? So school safety came and they're all like, how long have you been coming to school? I said, every day. They're all like, boy, your mother's been looking for you. I was like, I know, I don't want to go home. So then they put me in handcuffs and then they took me to like where my mom was and my mom didn't say nothing. My mom just said, we're going to the airport. I said, where are we going? She didn't say nothing. I got a plane ticket to come to California. And I was like, why am I coming to California? My mom was stubborn. Like, I guess she really like, liked me a lot because I'm her first child. She hid me from my dad for like 15 years. Those 15 years, my dad was trying to see me. For her to do that, like, I didn't know because I was a kid. Like, when I, when I, like, came to California, I was like, man, what do you want? You know, I don't want nothing to do with you. You didn't want nothing to do with me. So, for 15 years, this young man actually believes that his father wants nothing to do with him. And then he's suddenly forced to go live with him. I was just like, like, whatever. I was still being a bad kid. I was still running away. I took my dad's car. I ran it. I ran it into the house on accident, though. Oh, wow. On accident. I ran into the house on accident. Um... I would, I would be, every school year out here, I would get arrested for something. I haven't been to Julie, mm -hmm. but I've been inside the police station, like, and I've been booked. Okay. I've been arrested three times as a juvenile. I've been on probation. I've been on house arrest. Um, but I've never been, like, to LP or none of that. I've never been to YA, which is Selmore. I've never been there, but... So those terms, LP and YA, those are basically juvenile halls or um, some type of a facility for juvenile offenders. What do you think you were going through back then, like as a 15-year-old? As a 15-year-old, I was going through an uh, average 15-year-old struggling life. Mom is busy, so they need that love and support. Friends are doing drugs, so you follow them because you want to be cool. Really into chasing girls. I would rather chase girls than get a job, like, honestly. Okay. But then as I grew older, like, I started learning about, okay, it's all about the money now, because without the money, you can't take the girls out. And if, if you can't take the girls out, you can't do that. So, um, so you had to go to California. What was that like? I mean, I know you said at first you were, like, you know, kind of resistant towards your dad because wondering was, why he wasn't there. I was just confused. So I'm like, why am I coming to California? I didn't know why I was coming to California. I was like, why are you just randomly sending me when you, I'm, I'm in handcuffs. You said, well, you're moving to California. I have no clothes with me. Like, I'm like, are you just going to like leave me stranded? Then, then, my, then I saw my dad. I was like, because he looks just like me. Okay. My dad looks just like me. I'm there like, okay, that's not my brother because I don't have no brothers. I have no uncles or nieces out here. And I'm like, is that my dad? And then he started like crying and tearing up. And I was like, like, what's up? Like, why are you crying? Like, you know? I was like, bro, why? And he's like, I miss you. I was like, okay, I miss you too, I guess, you know? I was still confused. Right. And then when my, when my dad told me the story about how my mom tried to, like, keep me from her, I, I was like, okay, I don't believe that, you know? 
So then I started getting in trouble, and every single time I get in trouble, my dad would always hug me, kiss me, and say, I love you. I'd be like, I'd steal your car, you won't get mad. I would, like, I'd run away from school, you'd still be there. I got arrested, and you bailed me out, like, three different times, and he's still here with me till right now. So what was your what were your thoughts about that when you were doing all this stuff and acting out, and your dad was still, like, there? I didn't care. I didn't really care back then, but when I turned 18, I actually cared, because that's when I got arrested as an adult, and I almost... Well, I did a prison term for that. Tell me a little bit about that. What happened when you were 18? I graduated from O. Before that, okay. my freshman and sophomore year, I had all Fs. My my highest GPA was a 0.6 GPA. My dad straightened me out like he was disciplining me. I'd, <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I'll do better in school. So through so my junior and senior year, I was like, well, I don't want to look stupid, you know? So I would like, I went to summer school and tutoring, and I had enough credits. I, I like maintain a, at least a B plus mm-hmm. average throughout my whole first semester, second semester, my junior and senior year. I graduated with a 3.7 GPA. The next portion of this interview contains descriptions of drug abuse and criminal activity. There's probably even a few curse words. So if you have young kids who are listening, you may want to hit pause or put headphones on. I was hanging out with a friend of mine. I was doing meth at the time, my first time doing meth. And like, you know how the first first time is you're I like, you're, you get, ooh, like, you know, you feel the high. So what happened was I saw this car and my friend saw this car and my friend was carrying a gun. So what happened was we got inside the car and I took the guy out the, out the, out the car and I drove off with it, but the guy was still hanging on to the door. So as, as he was hanging on to the door, I didn't know. So when I went to go make a right turn, he swung himself back in the car. So he started fighting with us. He goes on to say that when the victim chooses to fight back, his friend, who is high on meth, becomes enraged and inflicts some pretty terrible bodily harm on the man. And that's why I stopped the car, but I asked him out of part of the plan, and I took off running. And as soon as I took off running, all my stuff fell, my driver's license, my my phone, all that. So when I, so we got on the blue line and we went all the way to L.A. So from there, like, we were like, bro, what are we going to do? We were like, we're just going to go our separate ways. So then I went to my friend's house, and my parents called them, and they were like, oh, come back to the house. So I came back to the house, and why did I know? I was like, the cops are going to be waiting for me. Of course, cops were waiting right there at that corner, waiting for me. And then they came and surrounded me. And they they had like machine guns and like big old shotguns at me. I'm, I'm like I'm unarmed. Like I'm wearing shorts and like a tank top. And they 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 see no weapon. And then they wanna like profile me like get down. Like and then they like twist my arm and kick me and punch me. I'm like, wow. So but yeah, I ended up fighting it. Because I try to play the, oh, I'm crazy game. I was supposed to do 15 years. I ended up doing three years because I ended up pleading out. When you actually got convicted and you had to, like, you got sent away, um, did you have a chance to talk with your dad about it or anything? They actually gave me a surrendering date. I got convicted, and then they were like, okay, come back in a month so you can come to yourself in. Like they're like, all right, you know, you, you took the deal, so we're giving you the option whether you want to go now or later. So I told them, I want to go later, so... I couldn't leave the state of California, but I still ended up leaving and going to Texas to go see my grandpa. 
I just got on the plane and just I didn't, I didn't say nothing. The scary part about it was I was even I was even gonna make it back here on time to go to court because we were stuck in a snowstorm. Paul was like, "Listen, I'll pack your stuff. Just get on the plane right now." Then the the next plane going to California. I said, "All right," and I left all my stuff. My stuff is still over there. And if I would have missed like not going to prison, I would they would have added an extra ten years, mm-hmm. and I would have done it in federal prison. So since he didn't have that extra 10 years added, I asked him where he ultimately served his prison term. Solidad. I've been to Bakersfield. I've been to Bosom, Fresno. I've been all the way to Death Valley, which is Chekawala, and Tehachapi. Every like couple months, we, we, we go up for like review because we get points. The point system is level one. Level two, level three, and level four. Level four is the highest. That's when you have double, double fence barbed wire with an electric fence in the middle. That's and then okay. level three is just a two fence and like a medium and like a mid-sized electric fence. Then the level two is just a fence with like the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. And then the level one is sort of like a regular building where you can just walk in and walk out. You had you served three years, and they moved you around a lot because of the point system, or because mm-hmm. we have different point system. Because okay. you, you know, if you put a murderer with a rapist, mm-hmm. that murderer is gonna kill that rapist. Okay. So they segregate them in different, and then so we have points for that. Okay. So like, let's say, oh, and we also have something that's called protective custody, okay. which is SNY, sensitive needs yard, mm-hmm. and those are for like the ex. For like the ex-gang members, people who don't want to gangbang, people that are child molesters, people that are like like perverts, and they go to that side. Then we have the active people, which are like the gang members, the active gang members, the people who want to be like gang members, or the people who don't, or like the people who just want to be like, that like need to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what prison was like for him. I was young. I was small. I was like only, and I was, I I had zero tattoos on me, zero whatsoever. I was like, and and every time I go inside a cell, they're all like, "What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're a little kid. Get the fuck out of here." Excuse my language, but yeah, but like he, they'll just be like, "Get out of here," and I'll be like, "If I go out there, I can't like I can go nowhere else." But sometimes I'll get cell. It's like big old yoki. I'm like. Five foot five. These people are like six feet, five seven. Yo, because they done time. And I'm like, if you're scrawny, and I'm like, oh my gosh, why? There was this one time where I had this like homosexual celly, and like he wanted he he wanted to take he wanted to take me, and I was like, bro, this is not gonna happen. Like and like that was the first time I ever fought for my life, and like I actually got away though because the seals came and they saw what happened. You know, there's a lot of people who really strongly believe that, like, anyone under 21 shouldn't be going to prison with, like, adults who are, you know, doing super they need it, though. major it's, hard it's, stuff. It's discipline. You really... I learned a lot of good things, okay. but I also saw a lot of bad things. I learned how to become, like, independent. Learn how to make my own bed. I learned how to, you know, actually I think before I talk. Um, I learned how to feed myself, cook for myself. And I learned how to draw. You really learn how to draw in there. I would have never thought. You're like the first person I've ever met who's told me that. So then when you actually got released, did someone pick you up? My dad came to pick me up. We went to get chicken and we went to go eat. I mean, he went to go buy me some new clothes because I got like toned up. And he saw my new tattoos and he's like, I was like, I never had none of these tattoos all over my body. And he's like, 
what happened to you? Be like, I need to fit in. You don't understand. It's politics and they're married. You got to follow rules. And then they're like, did they force you to have these tattoos? I'm like, no, but I, if I knew if I didn't have none of these tattoos, I would have been somebody's punk or something. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do all that. So right now, it's like I'm slowly like starting to realize I have really a lot of bad tattoos. I really get it retouched up or get it removed. And okay. that's going to be a lot of money. I, I want to do my back, but I'm sensitive in my back. So I tried it, so I put like a little smiley face on my back. So I have a little tattoo of a smiley face on my back. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know why I did that. I asked him about his relationship with his dad, especially once he was released from prison. Here's what he had to say about that. I had a, a very good relationship. Like, it's like A1. Like, if I need him for anything, he'll be there no matter what. He's still the same person. He spends some time talking about his struggle with finding adequate housing after being released from prison and how he ultimately ends up at a sober living home. I was curious about how he even found out about the house. I've been known because my friend stays there. I was homeless for, like, almost a whole year. Okay. I just stopped being homeless, like, a couple of days ago because I had I was working two jobs mm-hmm. and I saved money to get at this place and that's where I'm staying at. What was it like to have to deal with homelessness for you? It sucked. It really sucked. It wasn't technically being homeless. I would always find a place to stay but I couldn't be there like all the time or if not there'll be something some little situation going on and I'd be like damn I gotta, I gotta go to the next one. The only thing I, I didn't like was to keep moving my stuff around. I wish I wish I could have found a place where I could just keep my stuff there, come back for it whenever I need it, you know? But I just had to carry everything. Wow. And okay. it sucked. So if you'll remember, earlier he talked about having a really good relationship with his dad, and yet he's struggling with homelessness. So of course I was curious about why he wasn't able to live with his father. I just say I had a disagreement with my with my stepmom. And it ended up to turn up, turning up to where it was he had to choose his wife or his son. And since I'm not paying attention to him, why is he going to continue? So he went with his wife. Mm-hmm. I was like, I respect that, you know, I understand. I stayed at my friend's house. I had three different people that I would go to. Like rotating? Yeah. It would be two girls and this and this one guy. But... I would usually mostly be at the girls' houses because I feel weird staying at my homeboy's house. But it's like whenever I would be living with the girls, they'd be like, oh, you want me to feed you? You want me to feed you? Like, I was like, treated like king. But then I got so dumb and so, so into marijuana, I would like, like verbally abuse them and be, they'd be like, well, get out of my house. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. Okay. Like, I'm back on the streets. I'm like, why does this keep happening to me? So I want to talk a little bit about about your marijuana usage. Why do you think you smoked to the level that you did? Because I, I was stressed. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care about my life. Like You could tell by like the tone of my voice how much marijuana I smoke now. Like, I was usually... Oh, that's from the weed? I just thought that's how you were naturally. Okay. I usually have a squeaky high voice, and it's like, yeah, I smoke a lot of weed. (laughs) That's what's good about me. But, like, I know how to control it, though, now. Like, at first, I didn't know. But now, as I'm getting older, and I smoke more and more, like, my voice is getting, like, deeper and, like, raspier, but I know how to control it. Like, I know when to stop. I know you were talking about smoking weed because of stress and things like that. Have you ever gone to see a therapist or a counselor or anything to deal with the stress that way? Yes, but 
I didn't really pay attention to them. I was just wasting my money. Just my parents were paying for it. We didn't really talk about nothing. We'd just be like, "Well, do you want more medication?" Okay. And I was like, "I guess, yeah, sure. If that's, okay. if that's if you do it. You know, you're the you're the you're the you're the doctor. You know, I was coming to you." Right. And he's like, "Oh, uh, I'm here. Just I'll see you in about two months." Or so it was just meds. Do you remember what meds they wanted you to take? Was it like all antidepressants or, was, or ADHD? I was on Cyprexins, Ritalin, Concerta, Folkland, Stratera, Bytrum, Vicodin, I don't know who's the name of it. <laughs> Why do you think they were prescribing you the, the medication? Like, did they ever give you a diagnosis or ADHD say? ADHD and schizoaffective, okay. which is a generic, smaller version of schizophrenic. So when you were taking psych meds... How old were you around that time? Age of five. So what is the difference from you, the way you feel, taking psych meds versus taking marijuana? Psych meds, they make me feel like, Bleh! And marijuana makes me happy because there's different strains. Okay. And I get the happy strain. So when you say they make you feel blah, d- describe some of the, the psych meds. Groggy, like tired, like wanting to get up, but you but you can't because the medication's taking over. Right. You feel like... You want to have something to eat. You're starving, but you don't want to get up. That's how bad it was. Okay. I don't like medication no more. Like, and ever since Respiral, because Respiral happened with me. Okay. But I didn't actually go for the settlement. So let's talk about Respiral. Respiral is an antipsychotic medication. If you did a Google search, you'd find out that it's used to treat things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and irritability associated with autism. That same Google search would also list the many side effects. Here are just a few. Dizziness, tiredness, drowsiness, fatigue, fever, weight gain, feeling hot or cold, headache, dry mouth, increased appetite, restlessness, anxiety, sleep problems such as insomnia, nausea, vomiting, stomach pain, constipation, cough, sore throat, runny or stuffy nose, skin rash. Oh, and did I mention jerky movements, involuntary motions of the head, neck, arms, body, or eyes, otherwise known as Parkinsonism? One of the things I didn't see listed as a side effect was something called gynecomastia. Back in December of 2016, Nick Valencia from CNN wrote an article that was titled, Men to Sue Over Drug That Made Them Grow Breasts. Yes, one of the side effects to Risperdal is enlarged breast tissue among boys and men. Thousands filed lawsuits against Johnson & Johnson for not disclosing that little tidbit. The article goes on to say that the company stands by the drug and said that it has helped millions of patients. And you know what? I can attest to that. I have known young men who said that Risperdal changed their life in a good way, but that's not the issue. The problem is intentionally withholding information. In July of 2016, a jury found that the pharmacy company had intentionally falsified, destroyed, or concealed records. Okay, so this is probably just really naive, but I just have to say this. If you are a pharmaceutical company and your medication causes a side effect like man boobs, can you at least let people know? I mean, just give them a choice. Put the information out there. Because if you're struggling with mental illness and then you have to worry about having a double mastectomy because your boobs are bigger than your wife's or your mom's, that is a problem and that does not help self-esteem. Please don't be part of the problem. I'm not necessarily a proponent of marijuana, but I can definitely understand why so many of our youth choose to self-medicate. Okay, back to the interview. 
I asked him about the advice that he would give to a young man who was traveling down the same path that he had gone. Here's what he had to say. I go up to the house, ask them to be their friend. Once we once we become friends, because my time doesn't tell me are because we're neighbors, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna smoke a joint with him, and I'm gonna explain what he's doing. Because sometimes when you're on marijuana, like you process things, like you really think about what you're saying. And so if I feel like if I spoke with him, marijuana, he'll actually listen and just start to realize. But that's actually, that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Marijuana changed my life. It actually mellowed me down because I was so hyper. So I know there's this whole medical marijuana movement when it comes to psych meds and all that stuff, and I know it's been around for years. And but it actually helps. So since you were released from prison and you started, you know, trying to get back on your feet and everything, you actually talked about the fact that you have been working. Mm-hmm. So what was that process like with you? Oh my gosh, every time I would apply, I would even apply for McDonald's sometimes. They'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. I was like, okay, McDonald's, I can't work at McDonald's, I can't work at nothing else. So I just, like, gave up. So then my dad was like, oh, I got to do this construction job. I was like, all right, cool, construction, felony friendly. I did it. My dad, I was, like, two weeks into it, and my dad gave me his Audi A4. Mm -hmm. And, like, he told me it's only specifically for work. Me being a reckless teenager and slash just got out of prison trying to show off and trying to have friends, I ended up taking the car anyways everywhere I go. And and, and he sort of knew I was taking it. He was like, come on, you're a kid. And I was just saying that just for legal reasons. <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, one day I went all the way to L.A. with my Audi, and I was just parked at a store, right? I was backing up, and a car was backing up. So the car wasn't paying attention. I kept parking my horn. So I tried to move forward, and, and, and he bashed it. So his back bumper hit my back bumper, and he took off. And I'm there like, no, this is only supposed to be for work. And my dad knows I'm not at work, and he's at home right now. Right. And he's going to see the dent, and he's not going to be like, okay, put the mat. There is no debris on the floor where the car was parked. So I'm there like, dad, I wrecked the car because I was in L.A. He took the car, and that was my first job I ever loved that I lost. Okay. I work on tiles, and I would travel to Chino, to Long Beach. Then I'll go from Orange County, then I'll go to San Diego, I'll do a project out there. The farthest I gone was to Lake Forest. I was just getting paid good money. So my first check I was like and I only worked four days, three days, and I got like a thousand dollars like Whoa, for the week? I said, bro. So after losing his good job laying tile, he talks about a series of warehouse jobs which he hated. So of course I wanted to know why. And it's boring, and it's like, dude, I think it's really boring. Dude, this is boring and waste of my time. I can do better things and get paid way more money. <laughs> so then the conversation moved to his philosophies on dating. Oh, like... I don't like asking people out on dates when I first meet them. I like to like ask them by like text message. It, it keeps it suspenseful. You don't want to choke and look like a fool because they're gonna be like, "Oh no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little poop head or something." You know, I messed up. But if you do it in text, it's like you, you really get into it. You really get and like the you could think about what you're gonna say instead of be like, 
awkward. Stuck, you yeah. know, it is like, wow, you know, that is such a good point because a lot of times, like, when I'm talking with younger people, now I'm older, but oh, like wow. when I talk up to younger people and they're talking about dating someone and they're doing so using social media or texting, I'm like, but how do you really get to know them? And like, you're not really know them, but, but you just, yeah, you just explained it to me like it's easier in a lot of ways because yeah. you can think about what you're saying. And you feel more comfortable because they're not right in your face looking at you. And, and you're not pressured to say no. Wow. Because you can say no and just forget about them. Huh. Lock them, delete them, do whatever. That'll be like a butthead move. But if you're really not interested and if they're bothering you like that, you cannot say nothing. They won't, they won't feel hurt. They'll just, they might, but it'll be like, all right. Like, I understand point. it. I understand so it. So millennial dating, like... That's why. That's okay, what it the makes new sense. generation is about now. Right. I asked him about the advice that he would give to mothers whose sons were struggling the way he did. I would say really pay attention to your kids. Like, honestly, like, I, I know you're busy, but at least take, like, from, from, like, your lunch break, go to them and just tell them you love them and take them out to eat here and there, you know, show them that you love them. Or if not, like... Like, sometimes kids are going to be doing, like, drugs like marijuana and drinking. Surprise them one day. If you don't smoke marijuana, don't do it. But I would say surprise them and have a and have a blunt with them and just talk to them. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> They'll really feel comfortable talking to you. That's how I ended up opening up to my dad. Like, um, I, my dad never knew I drank until he actually sat me down and be like, Hey, uh, do you want a beer? He didn't know I was drinking until I, like, took a step and he's like, Usually, you, you know when you first taste alcohol, you like, oh, like, like, like you make that sound. He was just like, wait, you've been drinking? I was like, yeah. Like, and then we just started chatting and we just started bonding. So for like mothers, I say just be open-minded. We are sensitive. <laughs> if we're having a bad day and if you see it, like, don't like, like, don't be like, there's, because there's two ways. Mom, moms like responds to, to people that are like, I guess, I don't know how to explain it, like, the so one side of the mom, they're like, oh, are you okay? Are you sure? And then we have the other moms that are like, okay, whatever, she's fine. Like, try to meet us, like, in between the middle, you know? And, like, we'll come to you if we're, like, ready. But don't, but don't pressure us okay. to, like, talking. I wanted to know how he felt about school and was surprised by what he had to say about college. I loved college. College was great. Even though I was going to parties and stuff, I'm still getting my work done. It felt like I was an adult. I was adulting. But yeah, I really enjoyed ah, college, man. I was still living with, with my parents. Again, spoiled, snobby with a rich car, but <laughs> I loved it. And now going back a little bit, what was like elementary, middle school, and high school like for you? Ooh, at my elementary and middle school was piece of cake. It wasn't mine until my high school but it was hard. Because you know you're in high school, you got girls that are going through puberty, and we have boys that are going to puberty, so our hormones, and it's like, yeah, let's just say I was out there with the girls. <laughs> so then college was just a lot more fun because what, you think the freedom, or why That, was and I'm trying to naturally balance, like, my little mode of playing with girls and from like working and going to school oh. and it was actually a cool experiment that I learned about myself okay. if I'm in a room full of girls 
I'm going home with one or something. You are a mess. <laughs> what you mean? That's, that's, what, that's what I learned about myself. As we were wrapping up, I realized that I had never asked him about some of his criminal activity when he was in high school. What were the charges? Yeah. Petty theft, vandalism, resisting arrest, and annoying phone calls. What was the phone calls? Annoying, annoying phone calls. I, I didn't would, know that was, was a thing. Th- yep, annoying phone calls. Where you keep calling the person. Instead of threatening them, you right. verbally like call them. Like you keep calling and they block you, but you find a way to call them. I didn't even know that was a possibility. To get you could get arrested for that. for that, and you could wow. do a whole year in prison. That's the max term, though. Okay. But you could do. Usually, you end up doing like a week in the county or something. Okay. But. I'm learning something new. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Formally Fostered. You can subscribe to us by going to Apple Podcasts or follow us on SoundCloud. If you have questions, thoughts, or concerns, feel free to leave a comment or email us at info at greenpinesmedia.com. So, until next time, have a good one.